Let us now turn to God's holy word for our instruction. We turn to the book of 1 Samuel and the chapter 22. The book of 1 Samuel and the 22nd chapter. This is God's holy word. Let us hear his word together. The book of 1 Samuel and the chapter 22. Commencing our reading in the verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Let us come and hear the word of Almighty God together. David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And every one that was in distress, and every one that was in debt, and every one that was discontented, gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them. And there were with him about four hundred men. And David went thence to Mizpah of Moab. And he said unto the king of Moab, Let my father and my mother, I pray thee, come forth and be with you, till I know that God will do for me. And he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the while that David was in the hold. And the prophet Gad said unto David, Abide not in the hold, depart and get thee into the land of Judah. And David departed and came into the forest of Harath, when Saul heard that David was discovered, and the men that were with him. Now Saul abode in Gibeah under a tree in Ramah, having his spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing about him. Then Saul said unto his servants that stood about him, Hear now, ye Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards, and make you all captains of thousands, and Captains of hundreds, that all of you have conspired against me, and there is none that showeth me that my son hath made a league with the son of Jesse, and there is none of you that is sorry for me, or showeth unto me that my son hath stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait, as at this day. Then answered Doeg the Edomite, which was set over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, and he inquired of the Lord for him, and gave him victuals, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Then the king sent to call Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priests that were in Nob, and they came, all of them, to the king. And Saul said, Hear now, thou son of Ahitub. And he answered, Here I am, my Lord. And Saul said unto him, Why have ye conspired against me, thou and the son of Jesse, in that thou hast given him bread and a sword, and hast inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me, to lie in wait as it this day? Then Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who is so faithful among all thy servants as David? which is the king's son-in-law, and goeth at thy bidding, and is honorable in thine house. Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Be it far from me, let not the king impute anything unto his servant, nor to all the house of my father. For thy servant knew nothing of all this, less or more. And the king said, Thou shalt surely die, Ahimelech. Thou and all thy father's house. And the king said unto the footmen that stood about him, Turn and slay the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David, and because they knew when he fled and did not show it to me. But the servants of the king would not put forth their hand to fall upon the priests of the Lord. And the king said to Doeg, Turn thou and fall upon the priests. And Doeg the Edomite turned, and he fell upon the priests and slew on that day fourscore and five persons that did wear a linen ephod. And Nob, the city of the priests, smote he with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and sucklings, and oxen and asses and sheep with the edge of the sword. And one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. 
And Abiathar showed David that Saul had slain the Lord's priests. And David said unto Abiathar, I knew it that day when Doeg the Edomite was there, that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of thy father's house. Abide thou with me, fear not. For he that seeketh my life, seeketh thy life. But with me thou shalt be in safeguard. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And may the Lord be pleased to bless the public reading of his most holy, infallible, inerrant, and sacred word to our hearts and to our minds and all to the glory of his precious name. Dear congregation, I invite you now to please turn your prayerful attention to the words that I read to you earlier in your hearing there in 1 Samuel and the 22nd chapter. We have arrived now in the 22nd chapter of this book as we continue to go through verse by verse and look at what God has to say, the scriptures say, for whatsoever things are written aforetime, are written for our learning that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, may have hope. And I trust that we are learning many things for life. These things are written for our learning. We who have been born of God, born of his spirit, and were called to walk in newness of life. David knew what it was to be a saved man. David was regenerate. David was born again, but not Saul. And one of the lessons that we've been learning through the book of First Samuel is the difference between those who are born again, those who are regenerate, and those who are not. There are those like Saul who merely have a profession of faith, but they are not the Lord's people. Saul increasingly, and with rapid pace, is showing himself to be a truly an ungodly, an unsaved man. And we now see it in its great extremity. David is running out of options as to where to go. But he is to go back to Judah, as we see in this chapter. David is to go, as it were, into the lion's den. The way to the ascendancy of the throne is not amongst the people of Gath. It's not amongst the Philistines. It's not in the land of Edom where he sends his family, but it is to go, as the prophet will tell him, to go to Judah. The Lord has protected David. The Lord has blessed him so far. The Lord has delivered him from, uh, indeed, the mouth of the lion, indeed from the bear, as he protected the sheep. The Lord has delivered into his hand the head of Goliath, David is more than a conqueror through Christ. And we too are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. Now, we've seen in the past few chapters that David is in great fear. He's on the run from King Saul. We remember in the last chapter, chapter 21, he went to Ahimelech, the high priest. And uh, as he goes to Ahimelech, in chapter 21, Ahimelech discerned very quickly that something was wrong because David was on his own. And David, being the son-in-law of the great king, this was rather peculiar that he should come on his own. We know from Mark chapter 2, as the Lord Jesus gives a commentary on this passage, that indeed there are other men with David, but they're somewhere in the hiding. But David goes to Ahimelech, and asks for bread. Ahimelech sees that something is wrong, and he says, in effect, really, why is no man with thee? Verse 1 of chapter 21. And he was afraid, no doubt, as we read there. Well, Ahimelech saw something was wrong, and then David gives him a story. David makes a lie. He fabricates the fact, he says, that he's on official business of the king. And I suppose we could say, maybe as Ahimelech was asking in his own mind, well, there's a big problem, David. Why have you no food? If you are actually on official business, 
You have no food. Where's your food? Where's your weapon? David asks for a sword. And the Lord, in providence, gives him. The sword is here with the Himalek, with the priests. Well, at that time, as we saw last week in chapter 21, there was a rather dangerous figure there with the high priest, Doeg, the wicked Edomite. He was present. And for some reason, he had been detained there. Of course, this is all by the providence of God. We've got to understand as we look at this passage and we'll see it this morning, there are so many things, as Ezekiel says, wheels within wheels. We see God's providence being worked out through these various things. Doeg the Edomite is not here by accident, but he is here by God's providence. Judgment will come to the house of Ahimelech because of the sins of Eli. Remember, God said that he will judge the house of Eli. And as we said last week, if we didn't read the Mark chapter 2 account, and if we didn't have the earlier account in Samuel chapter 2, we might easily come to the conclusion that the reason why the priests are destroyed is because Ahimelech gave David bread. But that is not the case. The reason why destruction came to the house of Ahimelech the sons of Eli, is because of that sin of Eli, not because Ahimelech gave him bread. It was lawful, as we saw last week, to give bread because it was being used for lawful purposes. The commandment, thou shall not kill, is not overthrown, is it, by the commandment here, by the ceremonial law, to have the showbread. I suppose we could look at it this way. As we gather for the Lord's table this afternoon, and we have a wonderful, beautiful loaf of bread, and then we should see somebody afterward who is hungering, and they have need of food. Would it be right for us to welcome him around the table? No, it wouldn't be right. But it wouldn't be wrong to give him of that bread afterward. Now, we wouldn't give it to the children to run around after the service and uh, make a mockery of the bread. But it would be lawful, wouldn't it, for us to give that man that bread. And so in the same way, we can bring that to modern day situation. And that's how the bread was used. The Lord Jesus Christ says to us in Mark chapter 2, Did you not know what David did when he was a hungered? Because, of course, the occasion there is the Pharisees were accusing the Lord Jesus Christ and the disciples of work on the Sabbath. But, of course, he wasn't working. He was simply gleaning, walking through the fields on the Sabbath and taking hand to mouth eating while he was walking through the fields. And if he is Lord of the Sabbath, he has complete authority over all of these things. Now, that was the situation in chapter 21. The wicked man there, Doeg the Edomite, was there. And he saw what Ahimelech did, gave him bread. And as we'll see today, Ahimelech, or rather Doeg, the Edomite, conceals certain truths to King Saul about uh, him and really puts Ahimelech in a bad light before King Saul. And King Saul will slay Ahimelech. Of course, Ahimelech will be judged, or rather Doeg will be judged for his sins. Ahimelech and the house, of course, will be destroyed here, and God will have the final word. Well, after having eaten bread, David senses, remember last week, something is wrong. And he immediately leaves the priest there and he goes of all places to Gath. And we ask the question, where was Goliath from? Goliath was from Gath and he slew one of their favorite sons. It's madness. He's fleeing Saul. But he 
He goes right into enemy territory. It's simply madness, isn't it, to go to Gath? And they recognize David there. Is this not David? And they've heard of David's songs, the songs in which the woman had been singing about David. We read of that, don't we, in the chapter 21. Is this not David? And what madness going to Gath. And he actually realizes that he has to put on an act. Well, that was wrong, doing it, but that's what he ends up doing. It was madness to go to Gath, and so he has to act mad, as he thinks, babbling, scribbling, and dribbling is what he did in that place, Gath, before King Achish and the people of Gath, scrambling on the doors, letting spittle run down his beard, pretending to be mad, feigning madness. And this is because he wasn't doing what he should be doing. Think of it as Ahimelech gave him that sword, that sword of Goliath. That should have been a a, a mighty encouragement for him that God gave him the victory over the enemy. To go back, if he is called to be the king, he is to be amongst, as the prophet will say here, he is to be amongst the people in Judah. Very much like our Lord Jesus. Our Lord Jesus came amongst the enemy. Our Lord Jesus didn't leave the battle. He was amongst enemies every day. But not here, David. David has to learn to trust the Lord. And so do we as Christians. Sometimes to be in the the very center of the, the, the will of God is to be right in the very heat of the battle. And so the Lord delivers him from Gath. I mean, it it is amazing how the Lord delivers David from this place of Gath and the king Achish here. I mean, surely they, they one would think they would, he would have been slain. How he was not slain there, we don't know. How was he delivered? Well, actually, if you turn to Psalm 34, we read there, it was the Lord who mercifully preserved David in this situation. We might just think, it's very easy for us to say, oh, well, the king thought he was just mad and he let him go and the people thought he was mad. But think about it. David slew their hero. He was in the hometown of Gath. And this just goes to show how sometimes as Christians, when we are not walking right with the Lord, we go from one terrible mistake to a worse mistake. He was in Gath, and he resorts to dribbling, babbling, and scrabbling on the doors. Sin is madness, isn't it? Sin is irrational. Psalm 34, as we saw, a psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he departed. But how did David depart? Verse 6, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth around them, about them that fear him, and delivereth them. And then he says in the verse 11, and this is the message, if ever we're in trouble, in distress, deliverance is through Christ our Lord. Notice what he says. Come ye children, hearken unto me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days, that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil, and thy lips from speaking guile. That's exactly what David was doing. He was lying. He lied to Ahimelech. He lied to the king of Gath. He lied to the people of Gath. He got himself into an awful mess, didn't he? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. What did David do? He cried, verse 4, unto the Lord. 
and the Lord delivered him out of all of his distress. Ultimately, David was restored to the right path. The Lord made a way of escape possible for him when he cried out unto the Lord. That's what we read in 1 Corinthians, don't we, chapter 10. The Lord will always make the way of escape possible. It would seem that there is no escape for David. But God did make the way of escape. The people just released him. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and he turneth it whithersoever he will. And the Lord turned King Achish's heart to release David. Now David here, when we come to chapter 22, is now useful once again. And David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave at Dullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And every one that was in distress, and every one that was in debt, and every one that was discontented, gathered themselves unto him. And he became a captain over them, and there were with him about four hundred men. So a, a large number of men come, and they discover that David is here. More and more men come, and David is now useful. Instead of playing the madman, instead of playing the lunatic, instead of lying, he is made useful in the service of the Lord. He encourages these men. And you think of it, how merciful the Lord is. The Lord delivered David from the madness of this folly, of these lies, of this life of duplicity in Garth, to now a useful life here in the cave, helping these men who were downcast, we read here, very disheveled men. Now sometimes God's people are thrown into panic, and in panic we act in foolishness, and we do very silly things, don't we? Now the cave of Adullam is some 16 miles southwest of Jerusalem. If you read the Psalm 57 and also the Psalm 142, and you look at the titles there, it's clear that those psalms are written in this time when David is in the cave of Adullam. And it's evident, it's very clear from those psalms, that it was right there that the Lord brought David to a renewed strength and hope now in the Lord. Just turn with me there to Psalm 57. And you see there from the title, it is written at this time when David is in the cave, and he says, Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings I will make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. Well, what calamities? Well, here, as he is being chased and hounded by King Saul, from place to place, and as he is fearing his life, he's trusting in the Lord, he's hiding under the shadow of God's wings. And God is his hope, God is his shelter at this dark time of his life. And so it is for the Christian, as David here is in the cave of Adullam. Notice there, to the chief musician, Mishtam of David, when he fled from Saul in the cave. So we see here a renewed strength and hope in David's life. Now look at the verse 7 of Psalm 57. My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. His heart is fixed on the Lord. There's his hope. There's his strength. He, he is settled. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed Upon thee, for he trusteth in the Lord. We're reminded in the Psalm 16. Also, if you turn to the Psalm 142, you notice there it's a masculine, a psalm of instruction, a prayer when he was in the cave, it says there. Verse 1 I cried out unto the Lord with my voice, with my voice unto the Lord, did I make my supplication? 
I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked, have they privily laid a snare for me. So David was in trouble here. And he, although he says, I showed before him my trouble. Well, the Lord knows, doesn't he? But we pour out our complaint to the Lord. And the Lord delivers us from such vexations of spirit. Now, what is interesting here is David is also able to help these 400 men. Now, what are these men doing here? Well, it's often thought that these men were some sort of social misfits and just sort of outcasts of society, but that's not the case. These are not men that are the derelicts of society. No, these men have become oppressed because of Saul. Do you remember what was said if you just turn back to uh, chapter 8, 1 Samuel chapter 8? And what we have here are these men who are victims of Saul's oppression, Saul's injustice. There's no justice in the land. Remember how Samuel warned the people how Saul would take away their children, would take away land, would take away the olive groves and vineyards. All of these would be taken away. It's not surprising that we have this now. Here Saul is a tyrant, and this is warned about in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 8. Just notice there, verse 9. Now therefore hearken unto their voice, howbeit ye protest solemnly unto them, and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. And from verse 14 right through to the verse 22, remember, Samuel showed the people of Israel what kind of a king Saul would be. And we read there, and he will take your fields, verse 14, and your vineyards, and your oliveyards, oliveyards, even the best of them, and give them to his servants, and will take the tenth of your seed and your vineyards and give to his officers. Well, he's got to upkeep this great uh, military fighting machine. The nation's not quite established, but he is basically um, taking the very best from the people. Verse 17, he will take the tenth of your sheep, and ye shall be his servants, and ye shall cry out in that day because of your king. And here we have these 400 men who are, in we read here, in debt. they brought to nothing like it because there's a tyrant. So just as God had said through the prophet Samuel that this dictator will arise and he will place excessive taxes upon the people and they won't be able to bear it because what is he doing? Well, they're having to fund his lifestyle and his army. He's taking away what very little that they have. This is oppression. And this is what happens where tyranny prevails. This is what you have in a dictatorship. I've lived in socialistic countries. It's not easy. and You, you do see people oppressed, poor, because the dictators, well, they... They're, so, they're always looking over their backs, wondering who's going to oppose them. They don't even trust their own men, as we see here Saul in this very chapter. doesn't even trust his own men. Turns to the men of Benjamite, the Benjamite men, and says, who, who is going to look after you like I do? He, he doesn't even trust them. And of course, when you've got a dictator, you've got people wondering, well, what can I tell him? If I tell him something, is he going to, how's he going to take it? Is he going to oppose me? Is he going to put me to death? Well, that ends up what it is like to be under a dictator, under a tyrant. And that is exactly what Saul is. And so we see here, and everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him. And he became a captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. Now, let me say this, and so it is with Christ and his people. You know, we, we have become discontented with this world. This world promises us so much, just as King Saul promised the people so much. 
but we've realized that the cisterns of this world are empty. The world cannot satisfy the longing soul, but he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. That's what the scriptures say. We, in a sense, have left the world behind. And we prefer to be with Christ, just as they prefer to be with David in the cave, than to be in the tents of wickedness with Saul, because he was corrupt. A life of having to worry. You couldn't imagine what a horrible thing it would be to serve under King Saul. You know, even it could be said of Hitler's men, they greatly feared him. You know, even his generals, because they they just never knew whether he was going to turn on them. Well, that's what you've got with the tyrant. And so it is here with Christ and his people. We have turned, have we not, from this world. And we prefer to be with Christ rather than to dwell in the tents of sin. Because they do not, well, they may promise, but they do not deliver. It's a picture of the church too, isn't it? Spiritually, we're oppressed, bankrupt. We have nothing, but we come to the great Lord Jesus Christ. Well, here is oppression. And churches have known it through the years. The world has oppressed the church since time began. Since Cain oppressed Abel, put him to death. There's always been this opposing force, the world against the church, against the called out. We think of the early church that was persecuted, the apostles and the prophets. And then right after the Lord Jesus Christ went up to glory, we think of the early church meeting in the catacombs of Rome, the early church oppressed, having to meet in secret, Right up through the Dark Ages, up into the 17th century in Scotland, we think of the Covenanteers from 1661 to 1688, how they had to meet in the fields because they would not bow and give honor to the king. And how there was oppression against the Protestant church. We think of our own primitive non-conformist Baptist churches that were persecuted also. It has always been. We think today of persecution, modern persecution. Think of Christians meeting in Chad and Sudan and northern Nigeria. But even today, here in England, secularism has become so unhinged, hasn't it? We just don't know what the world is going to do to the church So much is being imposed upon the church today. We don't know. But you know, the Lord is with his people. Just as David is here with his people, the Lord will never forsake his people. Psalm 57, verse 2, I will cry unto the Lord most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. Selah, God shall send forth his mercy and truth. And God did. Now you notice in the verse 3 to the verse 5, David has his plans, but the Lord has his plans. David's plans as our plans are not always wise. What does he do? He sends his, his family, he goes with his family to Moab. I mean, David should have learnt now. He was safe in the cave. What on earth is he doing sending his family to enemies? Well, maybe thinking that Saul will never attack them there. But that's not the place of safety. Certainly not the place of safety for David. Verse 3, And David went thence to Misphah of Moab. And he said unto the king of Moab, Let my father and my mother, I pray thee, come forth and be with you, till I know what God will do for me. And he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the while that David was in the hold. Now, one, it seemed safe. It was not the way to the ascendancy of the throne. To hide, 
in enemy land. It never is the way, even for us as Christians. But to be sometimes in the thick of the battle, in the lion's den. And you notice that the Lord sends a prophet to David. Verse 5, in mercy, the Lord sends a prophet. And the prophet Gad said unto David, Abide not in the fold, in the hold. Depart and get thee unto the land of Judah. In Judah, yes, right in the thick of the battle. Then David departed and came into the forest of Harith. Now this might seem insane to us. Go back to Judah, but Saul is there. Yes, David, but that is the way. That is the way. You know, sometimes we, we as Christians, we like to avoid difficulties. And that's not the answer. We like to avoid problems and we, we don't deal with the, the problem head on. And this is what David is doing here. He's avoiding it. He's avoiding the big issue. Safety is with the Lord. It's not so much where we're at, but whether we are walking in the paths of righteousness, whether we're walking in the ways of God. To return to Judah might seem like madness, but it is what God says. The right way is always the way of obedience, friends. What does God's word say? Well, it's right in the heat of the conflict. It's here right in the lion's den. And this was the way that the the master trod, wasn't it? Our Lord Jesus Christ. As men dogged his steps every day. He never ran away. He knew his time would come. And there was always a way of escape. There were times when he, he passed through a crowd. When they were about to stone him and put him to death. But the Lord delivered him. At that time he would have to eventually lay down his life. But no sooner and no later would it be. Thank the Lord David didn't have to lay down his life. But our Lord Jesus did. Now you notice thirdly here verse 6 to the verse 19. How the Lord is sickening the people. How the Lord here is making them nauseous of Saul. Because what Saul does here is a most wicked, wicked thing. There is a terrible episode that sickened the people. Even sickened the people of Saul. Because Saul will ask his men to slay Ahimelech and all the priests. And they say, no, we can't do it. You see, what God is doing is he is bringing... Israel to see just what kind of a king they have chosen. That is what God is doing. Saul is a self-absorbed man. That is all he is. He's only concerned after his own interests. He doesn't even trust anyone now. And so what he does is he holds a council meeting. Notice verse 6. And it's in the open. Saul is laying in wait with a spear in his hand as usual for David. That's all he's got on his mind. The people are famished. The people haven't got food. They're distressed. And all he can think about is this man, David, he wants to be king and I do not want him to be king. And he doesn't even trust his own men. Verse 6, And when Saul heard that David was discovered, and the men that were with him, now Saul abode in Gibeah under a tree in Ramah, having his spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing about him. Now we have a very nervous king, you notice, in the verse 7 and 8, that doesn't even trust his own men. Then Saul said unto his servants that stood about him, Hear now, ye Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? He's basically saying, men, don't you know where your bread is buttered? Don't you know who's looking after you? Why didn't you tell me of this earlier? He suspects that there's been dishonesty. And then he says this, that all of you have conspired against me. 
And there is none that showeth me that my son made a league with the son of Jesse. And there is none of you that is sorry for me. Oh, what self-pity. What a self-absorbed man. Or showeth me unto that my son has stirreth up my servant against me to lie in wait as at this day. Now, he hears here of David's movements, and he begins to suspect uh, deception in his own camp, as it were. He tells the men of his own tribe here, the men of Benjamin, and his chief fighting men, who's basically looking after you, isn't it me? Well, not really, it's the people of Israel. And now they become poor, but this man is so self-absorbed, all he can think about is whether he's going to be king the next day. He feels threatened, and he feels like there's no loyalty to him. Now, in the midst of them is this man Doek, who was there when Ahimelech gave David bread. And he puts David in, or Ahimelech here in a bad light. Then answered Doeg the Edomite, verse 9, which was set over the servants of Saul and said, I saw, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitab. And he inquired of the Lord for him, which is actually false. Go back and read the passage. Ahimelech didn't inquire of the Lord for him. Certainly there's no trace of it. So he puts... Ahimelech in a very bad light and gave him victuals. That's true. He, he gave him bread. He gave him food and gave him a sword. That's true. But he never inquired of the Lord. At least we don't have details of that. So he just puts Ahimelech in a very bad light. And what happens is Saul says, well, send for Ahimelech, the high priest. And all the priests. And we notice what happens. The priests come. All 85 of them, four score and five, 85 priests. And uh, Ahimelech is there before him, and he gives his defense. He says in verse 13 to Ahimelech, Ahimelech comes, Why have you conspired against me, thou and thy son Jesse, that thou hast given him bread and a sword, and has inquired of God for him? Of course, that never, Ahimelech's not conspired. Ahimelech believed David's story, his lie. And of course, David sees later on that he has occasioned the death of Ahimelech by this lie. Now, you see the way this tyrant thinks, that even the priests are against him. What folly. He sees conspiracy at every turn. Basically, his mind is uneasy. And it's always the way, you see, because his power was established in wickedness. But you know, if power is established in righteousness, we have nothing to fear. Tyrants have a lot to fear. But men who walk honestly and who are kind and are gentle with others, they don't have anything to fear. There's a lesson for us there, isn't there? I trust. Well, Ahimelech answers the king, and he says... In in verse 15, did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Be it far from me. He says, I didn't. Let not the king impute anything unto his servant, nor to all the house of my father, for thy servant knew nothing of all this less or more. And he says concerning David in the verse 14, he says, Saul, there's nobody like David in in all of Israel, somebody so faithful to you. David would never take up a sword against Saul, would he? Well, you notice what happens now in the verse 16. The death sentence is passed, and the king said, Thou shalt surely die, Himelech, thou and all thy father's house. Well, many people have tried to excuse Saul, say, well, he's just gone mad. He's psychotic. And that's what society does today. You know, anybody that does something really evil, they just say, well, the person was insane. Rather than just attributing it to the fact that evil is evil. There is evil. There are wicked people in this world, friend. 
that commit terrible, terrible things. It's common policy today, isn't it, in the world, that when somebody blows up a building or shoots down a plane, we just say the person was mad. But there is true, inerrant evil and wickedness. We've got to believe that. The Bible makes no excuse here for Saul. He was a man, we look back, remember when he was first called, a quiet man, a humble son of a shepherd. And we would never have imagined he could have risen to such extremity of wickedness and evil. He was a man who who professed faith. But now we see his heart. We see what's really inside him. Well, my friends, this is natural man left to himself. And you notice, King says to the footman, turn and slay the priests. And his own men say no. They would not put forth their hand, notice, to fall upon the priests of the Lord. I mean, even the men of Israel realized this was utter wickedness. We cannot do this. We cannot do this and and, and sin with impunity. No ways. The Lord will fall upon us. They knew this in their own hearts. This is just evil. There's no one willing here, but there is one, Doeg, Edomite. And he takes up this verse 18 then the king said to Doeg turn thou and fall upon the priests and so he did four score and five persons that did wear the linen ephod but not only that if you notice verse 19 all the inhabitants of Nob were destroyed the men the women the children the older men the cattle the sheep everything there was nothing left Everything fell by the edge of the sword that day. What is sad is that these people were treated like the heathen Philistines. No mercy shown to them. What a change. We see the real Saul, don't we? And we see the wickedness of the evil one here. Edom, the enemy, and here Doeg from the Edomites. This is all judgment, isn't it? Also, let's not forget, while we see the wickedness of men, and let let me say this, God is not the author of sin. As you look at this passage, we may say, God, how can you let this happen? But we have to realize that God had warned that judgment would come to the house of Eli. Do we not see the power and the wisdom of, of Almighty God in this. God had said in 1 Samuel 2 verse 30, that word that came to Eli through the prophet, wherefore the Lord God of Israel saith, indeed that thy house and the house of thy father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord saith, be it far from me, for them that honor me I will honor. And they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Well, judgment comes. At least there's going to be one left. One man escapes. Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech. And you say, although God doesn't excuse the evil here by, done by Doeg, God will bring judgment eventually to the Edomites. And they will be destroyed One day, David, as we read, will have all the enemies subdued. We know this from 2 Samuel. David also is a wonderful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He shall reign till he makes all his enemies his footstool. Psalm 110. David, again, is a wonderful picture of our Lord Jesus Christ, isn't he? David is the anointed, and the Lord Jesus Christ is, my friends, the king in the glory now. Where is Christ? He was once crowned with thorns, but now he is crowned with glory, and has sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God on high. 
a place of position, prominence, and power. And the scriptures say, he shall reign until he makes all of his enemies his footstool. What hope this gives us while the world rages on, while the kings plot in vain and imagine a vain thing, he that sits in the heavens shall laugh. My friends, if we're not with Christ, we're against Christ. He has said that he that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not scattereth. If we're not saved, the Bible makes very plain and very clear that we're still in the kingdom of darkness. Salvation means that our hearts and our lives belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. That he has conquered our hearts and conquered our lives. That he has lived for us and that he has died for us and that he, he lives in us. If we are Christ's and we want, to, we want to, to, to honor him and he will send us, friends, into dark and difficult places. But he has said, lo, I am with you even unto the end of the age. I am with you. Think as I said of the covenanteers. Paul said, I count my life as nothing. And if we are Christ's, we consider all things loss for the excellency of our Lord Jesus Christ, for the knowledge of him. He's going to put an end to this world one day, to its wickedness. He judges and he is working all things after the counsel of his own will. Think as we look at this passage, as we survey it with a bird's eye, eagle view, as we look at it, God is working out his purposes. He is going to judge Edom. He is going to judge this Edomite. He is going to judge Saul, who will fall upon his own sword and kill himself. Because of his own folly. And I tell you this, friends, sinners, when they go to hell, there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth as they lament the wickedness of their own heart forever and forever. That is going to be the great torment of hell. But if God has saved us in the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, we ought to humbly fall and thank him that he has revealed our sinful hearts to ourselves and he has revealed to us the great shepherd king, the Lord Jesus Christ, who laid down his life for his sheep, who came into this world, who, who knew that he would be betrayed be even by his own people, he came to his own, and his own received him not, but he laid down his life for them. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Many of them that cried out, crucify him. On that day of Pentecost, were crying out soon after, Lord, what must we do to be saved? And Peter said, repent. Repent. Believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, salvation is in the Son. God is working out his purposes. You see this man, one escapes here. Who escapes? Well, one of the sons of Ahimelech, verse 20, Ahitob, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar showed David and Saul had slain the Lord's priests. And that must have cut David's heart. When David heard about this, why? David says, verse 22, I knew it that day when Doeg the Edomite was there, that he would surely tell Saul. And then what does David say? Verse 22b, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of thy father's house. Think of it. David is thinking now in his mind, have I not gone there and told this lie? None of this would have happened. But David, don't you see, while this happened, 
God is working out his purposes. Yes, David, you're guilty. You lied. But David, there's a greater cause. It's my cause. Sometimes we're cut to the heart of things that we've done wrong. And maybe we've occasioned the fall of other people. But you know, there are greater purposes behind things. Sometimes we don't realize it. Sometimes we don't fathom it. But God knows all things. David thinks all the priests would be alive if it weren't for me. And you think about it. What did God do in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for us? We occasioned his death, didn't we? Through our sin, through our folly. Thank the Lord. But while we occasioned that death, it was by the predetermined purpose and counsel and foreknowledge of God to give his son, that while men would cry, his blood be upon us, but in a positive way, that blood is upon us for the forgiveness of our sins. Would they realize that? But it is realized in God's mercy in his goodness toward us, in the Lord Jesus Christ. What a horrible event this was. A slaughter showed the people Saul for what he really was. It was also the judgment of Eli as promised. It served also to open the way for David to be king. And now he needed to be humbled about his own lies. That is what's happening here, isn't it? David is being humbled by his own lies. And so therefore, if this didn't happen, how could he write Psalm 52? Well, he couldn't. But by grace he could, because he experienced that the Lord is merciful. And David says here to Abiathar, as long as you are with me, you are safe. Your enemies, or my enemies are your enemies. But as long as you are with me, you are safe. And not, can we not say that in a greater way concerning our Lord Jesus? What does the Lord say to his people? Zechariah 2.8 He that toucheth you, toucheth the apple of his eye. Think of it. What is the apple of the eye? It's the most tender part of the eye. When somebody goes to put their finger in your eye, what do you do? You flinch. And the Lord says, he that touches you touches the apple of his eye. And God will not let it. God is for his people. He is not against them. Cast therefore not away your confidence, friends. Your confidence and my confidence is in the Lord. Let us look to him. Don't draw back, but draw near to God. In times of darkness... Don't go your own way. Don't be foolish like David. David had to learn to trust in the Lord. Men will revile you. Men will persecute you. But the Lord Jesus said, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. Walk in the path of obedience. And God will truly bless you for his name's sake. He is sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God and he reigns until he makes all of his enemies his footstool. He reigns for you. He reigns for me soon to receive us into his glory. Amen and amen.